Philippians chapter 4. Continuing to make our way through this book, we'll, we'll have a sermon today on Philippians. And next week, uh, our brother Eric will be bringing the final sermon on this epistle. So pray for Eric this week as he prepares uh, for his sermon. I put him through the grinder last week. You can ask him about that, preparing for this sermon for next week. But today we're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. If you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Hear now the written word of the living God. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Because you are the supreme author of it, it is inerrant, infallible, the only rule for faith and practice. God, the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but this word will stand forever. And Father, we pray that you would open our ears and our hearts, our minds to receive the things of God. If there is a someone here who doesn't know Jesus, we pray for that one, that you would draw him or her to yourself today. And Father, for Christians today, as we talk about the, the challenge of contentment, may we see Jesus, may we see our union with him. Teach us, Lord, to rest in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray this prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Please be seated. Well, the month was August, but the year was 1990. I was entering eighth grade at Vance Junior High School in Bristol, Tennessee. And more specifically, I was entering Mr. Price's Algebra I class. Anybody getting ready for Algebra 1? That was me in 1990. You see, up until that time in grade school, math it had come pretty easily for me. I didn't have a problem with it. But little did I know what was in store for me when I entered Mr. Price's algebra class. And I can still remember very specifically that first test. 
And Mr. Price got up to hand the test back out to the class, and I can remember him saying, the grades on this test ranged from 100 to 70. And he began handing them out. And as he was handing them out, I thought to myself, well, hey, math has always come easy for me. I'm sure I did great. I'm sure I made it in the 90s, maybe even the high 90s. But then I got my test, and reality set in. You know what my grade was? I was the 70. I made the lowest grade in the class. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure I had done well, but I learned that day that algebra wasn't just complex. Algebra wasn't just different. Algebra was just plain hard for an eighth grader. <laughs> Someone said, preach. <laughs> it was plain hard. And I'll tell you, I felt overwhelmed. But Mr. Price was a good teacher. You see, he, he came alongside of me and said, Adam, look, you need to devote yourself to the, to the task and the process of learning. Adam, you need to be committed to studying it day in and day out. And, and if you do, you'll get what you need to know. And I want to tell you, Mr. Price was right. You like that? The Price is right? He was right. Because that's exactly what I did. I began studying math, and I worked at it, and I worked at it. And in fact, I got into high school and did well. In college, I ended up majoring in mathematics. And in college, I, I would think back about that day in eighth grade, and I'd sort of laugh because little did I realize back then that I needed a process of, of, of learning because things had just come easy for me until that point, but I needed a process of learning, and, and that's exactly what Mr. Price taught me. It's exactly what I needed, the process of day in, day out, going through it that I might learn algebra. You know, to a large extent, the biblical call to contentment and algebra are a lot alike. They're both just plain hard to do. You know, we've learned over the past several weeks that we have enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And these enemies want to constantly challenge us. They constantly want to Challenges with issues of worry, of doubt, of frustration, of complaining. And they want to take away any contentment that we might have in Jesus. And oftentimes as we deal with the world, the flesh, and the devil, instead of having contentment, we immediately turn to complaining or arguing or whining instead of resting in Christ for contentment. But this text today, beloved, it teaches us that contentment is something that every one of us needs to learn. That every one of us should engage in the process of learning contentment. You know, Mr. Price challenged me, go through the process, learn. It's going to take you a while. I don't know about you, but contentment doesn't come naturally for me, does it you? It doesn't for me. And I was encouraged when I read this text because Paul said it doesn't come naturally to him. Do you know that twice in this text, in verses 11 and 12, Paul says, I had to learn contentment. 
I had to go through the processes to learn contentment. I was encouraged when I heard that because Paul dealt with it in his life too. But through his life, through that process of learning, God taught him to be satisfied with little. And God taught him even to live above his circumstances. It's the challenge to learn contentment. And beloved, as we examine this text today, contentment is going to be our major point, but it's not the only point Paul makes today. He, he makes three points today. Let's walk through them together. The outline for our sermon is this. Paul talks about three things. He talks about gratitude, then the major point, contentment, and then finally he teaches us about God's provision for us as believers. So join me as we look at this text to see the teaching on gratitude, contentment, and God's provision. Look back with me at verse 10, and we'll also reread 14 through 18. Because the first thing this text talks about is Paul's gratitude. Verse 10 says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Jump to 14. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You know, as we review the book of Acts, we find that Paul was the first missionary that ever went into the city of Philippi. And through his witness of the gospel, that is his proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is this, is that Jesus Christ is fully God, but he came to this world as a man without ceasing to be God. He lived a perfect life among us. Never once did he sin. And he loved you and me so much that he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. He sent his Holy Spirit to take what he has done and to apply it to our lives. And he says that you and I can have the forgiveness of sins by grace through faith in his name. That's the message that Paul preached. And God, and, and God used Paul to preach there in Philippi. And what happened? Lydia got saved. The Philippian jailer got saved. And the church started in Philippi. Yet what happened? Paul left Philippi and he went to a town called Thessalonica. And when he was there, the Bible teaches us that those Philippians, those people he had just been with, they found out that he had a need, a financial need. So they sent him assistance. In fact, the Bible says they sent Paul financial assistance more than once. And then Paul went on a third missionary journey, and when he did, the Philippians lost touch with him. They didn't know what happened to him. But we know what happened. Ultimately, he came back to Jerusalem. He was arrested. He went over to Rome. He was under Roman house arrest, waiting to see Caesar. 
And it was at that point the Philippians learned what was going on with Paul. You see, even though they were physically distant from Paul, they hadn't forgot about him. And when they found out about his need, what did they do? This text says they immediately helped him again. They sent him another gift. They learned that he was in need, and they sent Epaphroditus, take this gift, take this gift to Paul. And when Paul received this gift, what does he say in verse 10? He says, I rejoice, I rejoice that you have revived your concern for me. But there's other reasons that Paul rejoiced. Obviously, this gift would help him. He wanted to thank them with gratitude for their kindness. Look at verse 14. He goes, it was kind of you. In other words, Here's my thank you note of gratitude for this gift you've given me. Verse 15 says he was so grateful because they were the only church who gave. Did you see that in the text? There were other churches, yes, that were available, but this church was the only one who gave. So he was grateful. He rejoiced for that. But maybe the main reason he rejoiced is found in verse 18. Look at it with me. He says, I have received full payment and more I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's saying that that gift that they gave was an act of worship. It was a fragrant offering to God. And beloved, that teaches us one of the most important things that we can even learn about this text. That giving, even to missions, is an act of worship. A fragrant smell, an acceptable and a pleasing sacrifice to God. And in that, Paul rejoices. He is so grateful for what they've done. But not only does it teach us that it's an act of worship, but it teaches us at least a couple more things. First of all, it's something kind of sad. They were the only church who gave. Again, there were others that had opportunity, but we can see that they weren't in line like the Philippians were with giving to missions. And this points out a pitfall that we, even here at Redeemer, should avoid at all costs. We should make sure we're a church who gives and supports our missionaries. Missions giving is critical for the church. Secondly, it points out that they're living out Philippians 2.4. Do you remember that verse? Turn back with me for one second. Philippians 2.4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Remember, there was a disconnect. There was a time where, where Paul had been gone from Philippi for quite a while. They didn't even know where he was. He had been arrested, sent to Rome, and they, and they found out about it. But their hearts were still connected to Paul. They didn't just think about themselves. They looked to Paul's interest, and they wanted to live that out. But again, most importantly, this text teaches us it was an act of worship. 
They were worshiping God and giving that gift. Paul makes it clear in verse 18, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. One commentator says it this way, their deed of giving was not merely an act of sympathy, but it was a genuine offering presented to God to promote His cause. This made the deed so grand, so beautiful, and I'll add this, so worshipful. Giving towards missions, beloved, is an act of worship. So as we have seen, first of all, Paul's gratitude toward the Philippians, I want you to know that one of the main things that we can learn from this text today as we move to contentment, that even though he rejoiced in getting that gift, that gift was not the reason for his joy. Let me make that very clear. He was glad to get it, but the gift itself was not the basis, the reason for his joy. Let's look at what he says about contentment. Look at verses 11 through 13 once again. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. More math. You ready? I got a math illustration. I'm a math guy, so you're going to hear some math illustrations from time to time. Have you ever taken trigonometry, maybe in high school or college? Do you remember graphing the cosine curve or the sine curve? Do you remember that? Let me reboot your memory. When you graph the sine or the cosine of theta or x, what's it look like? It looks just like this. It goes up. It has a maximum, right? Then it comes down. It has a minimum. It goes up again. It peaks. It goes down. It has a valley. It goes up and it goes down. It's constantly, constantly changing. If you don't get the math illustration, think about a roller coaster. On Friday, I went to Carowinds. Who's been to Carowinds? Have you been on the Intimidator? I ran into Seth and Katie Averill on Friday at Carowinds. Seth and I love to ride the roller coasters. And the Intimidator is a perfect example of the graph of the cosine because what does it do? It goes up and then it goes down. It takes you as high as you want to go and probably higher than you want to go. And then it goes down. It peaks and it has a valley. That's what the cosine or the sine looks like when you graph it. It's constantly changing. Now back to mathematics. So Cosine, sine, just like this. So you, you graph that, you see the up and the down, but on that graph, there's something else that runs through the middle of the graph. It's called a line of equilibrium. So even though the graph goes high and then it comes low, high and low, there's this line that goes right through the middle. It doesn't slant up, it doesn't slant down. It is constant. It is unwavering. It is unchanging. It is stable. It is level. It's the line of equilibrium. And I tell you all this, beloved, because life and contentment 
are much like a cosine graph and a line of equilibrium. Life will always have its ups and downs. It will always be changing. It will always have a high point in life. You're always going to have a low point in life. But there's something for the Christian that can remain level, constant, unwavering, unchanging. And that, beloved, is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And here today, Paul talks about both. He talks about that wavering up and down, and then he talks about that line of equilibrium in Christ. So join me, if you will. Let's step back and see how he does this. Look at verse 12. See the up and down. He goes, I know how to be low, be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. There's the cosine graph. There's the roller coaster. Let's take one more step back and examine what did that look like in the life of Paul. Acts answers that question. The New Testament answers that question. Let's start with his low points. Let's start with his valleys, his troughs. Did you know in the Bible, Acts chapter 14, Paul was in Lystra. And when he was there, the Bible says he was stoned. He was dragged out of that city and he was left for dead. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible says he was beaten, he was arrested, and his feet were put in shackles. In Acts chapter 20, the Bible says that the Jews plotted against him to kill him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says that so many times Paul had been given over to death. And in chapter 6 of that chapter, he spoke of the afflictions, the hardships, the calamities, the beatings. Lad, just a moment ago, read from chapter 11, all those low points, the valleys, the troughs of Paul's life. But Acts also talks about the high points, doesn't it? Do you remember in Acts chapter 20, or excuse me, Acts chapter 16? Right after Paul had those beatings and was put in prison and his feet were in shackles, the Bible says that God opened the prison door. He witnessed to the Philippian jailer. He got saved, and the Philippian jailer brought him to his own home. What a refreshment that must have been. He even put a plate of food in front of him, said, here, you can eat. Lydia opened her home to Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 28, the Bible says that when Paul got to Malta, the people there were unusually kind to him. It says it's cold outside and raining, so they made him a fire, welcomed him, warmed him. In Acts chapter 20, the Bible says Paul had plenty to eat. He had the fellowship of others around him. Even in our text today, it talks about this gift he's receiving from the Philippians. Epaphroditus is, is bringing this gift to Paul. So he had all sorts of highs. He had the lowest of lows, and he had the highest of highs. And it was through these things the process, the issues of life that God allowed him to learn what the Bible calls the secret of contentment. Do you remember a moment ago when I talked about Mr. Price? He said to me, Adam, 
You can't just get this in one day. You've got to go through the process, right? You've got to go through the process of learning. Day in, day out, you've got to study math if you want to be good at it. You can't get it all in one day. You're going to get a 70 if you try. But if you dedicate yourself to it, you're going to learn what you need to know. That's what God was saying to Paul. That as you learn the process of contentment, as you go through the valleys, as you go over the mountaintops, you will learn these lessons. You're going to learn that even though your circumstances change, even though you have bad times and good times, there's going to be a line of equilibrium in your life. And that line is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. That line is learning that Christ is sufficient for you in times of need and in times of plenty. You can know that your helper, your enabler, is always with you, that Jesus Christ will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You can learn, as the Old Testament says, that God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. So if, you're, if the footing underneath you gives way, if the waves of life are coming crashing into your life, you can know that your relationship with Jesus Christ will be firm, stable, unwavering, unchanging, constant. That is why, Paul, you can write in that verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Church, I want you to know that that verse is taken out of context maybe more than any verse in the entire Bible. People say that you, you can do anything you want. That's not what Paul means. Paul is saying that even in my roller coaster life, when I'm going to the lowest of lows, when I have nothing to eat, when I'm in jail, when I'm being beaten, even when I'm going to the highest of highs, when there's food on my table, hospitality in my life, people around me, there's something that remains constant. That is Jesus Christ. And my heart, he's saying, my view of life is not determined by my valleys or my peaks. It's determined by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can do that and that because Christ strengthens me to do it. That's what the Word of God says. And it's in Christ that he found his contentment. But what do we learn? Learning contentment, it's not easy. Back at the beginning of starting this book, I said something you, uh, you might not remember, but it was this. Jesus never came to take the trouble out of life. Know that. Jesus never came to take away the trouble out of life. Jesus came and said, in a world that is filled with trouble, you can trust me because I've overcome the world. You can trust me in your valleys. You can trust me on your mountaintops. I will be that line of equilibrium in your life. I will be stable. I will be there. I will be your refuge. He's teaching us contentment. A moment ago, Lad read from the Old Testament, Exodus 20, the last commandment, the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. If you've ever done a study on that verse from the shorter catechism, you, you see that the catechism takes every commandment and it asks two questions about each commandment. It, it asks what's required in the commandment and what's forbidden in the commandment. Let me read to you the answer for the 10th commandment. What is required in the 10th commandment? Here's the answer. 
the 10th commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Well, what's forbidden? The 10th commandment forbiddeth all discontentment with our own estate, envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor, all inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. You know, when we're going through one of those highs, one of those mountaintops, one of those maximums on the coastline graph, it's easy to be content, isn't it? It's easy to ride high on the mountain. But yet when life comes down, there's struggle, there's hardship, it's so easy to throw contentment out the door. It's so easy to worry and be fearful to whine and complain. I don't know about you, but contentment doesn't come easy for me. If you asked me, Adam, are you content in all circumstances? No. That just shows you that God's still working on your pastor. He's still sanctifying me. But God is teaching us that we, as we go through the process of life, as we go through the ups and the downs, God wants us to rest in Christ. He is a sovereign God who's in control of our lives. As the Bible said a few weeks ago, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God that the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ. If you want peace and you are anxious, Beloved, it has to come through prayer. And through that prayer, God is going to work contentment in your heart. So join me as we all continue to learn contentment from our great God and King. The last and final point, let's look at it briefly. We've talked about gratitude and contentment. Finally, God's provision. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As we've noted several times, the Philippians had this amazing act of worship in giving this gift to Paul. We know that Paul was in a bad place at a bad time, don't we? He was in Roman prison, but God still worked in his life despite his circumstances. Paul was content. He even became a witness right there in the jail cell. And he's noting the fact that the Philippians, they'd been faithful. They'd been obedient. They were worshiping God through this gift. So Paul responds with verse 19, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory. Will God allow tough circumstances into your life and into mine? Yes. Did Jesus come to take the trouble out of life? No. But in the midst of trouble, God will supply your need. Was Paul in trouble? Yes. Was he obeying God? Yes. But even in the midst of that jail cell, here came this gift from the Philippians, from Epaphroditus, that was even helping supply Paul's need 
And Paul saw that, and he reflected that back in the Philippians. God's going to supply yours as well. We are called to be faithful to him, even in the midst of trouble. God will provide. So as we close this morning, let's step back and ask at least three questions about this text. First of all, think about Paul's gratitude. And we as a church ask, what is our heart, attitude, about giving, even to missions? The sad thing is that there was only one back then with Paul, only one, the Philippians. Others had the opportunity, but they didn't give. Let's avoid that pitfall. Let's look to the interest of others because giving to missions, it's an act of worship. It's a sign of a healthy church. Number two, where do you find contentment? That roller coaster ride was fun, Friday. It was. I went up, I went down. I went up, I went down. But unfortunately for me, sometimes I might try to find my contentment in, the, in life that way. My circumstances dictate to me my contentment. That's not biblical. If we let our circumstances determine our contentment, be ready for a life of anxiety, fear, doubt, and whining and complaining. It's not where God wants us. In the midst of the up and down, Christ is that line of equilibrium. Christ and knowing him. And if you know him, you depend on him, you lean on him, you will find that, yes, even you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And then finally, do we understand God's provision for his church? Did you notice something about verse 19? It doesn't say, and God will fulfill every wish of yours, does it? It says, God will supply every need of yours. There's a difference, right? We all know the difference between wants and needs. This text says that God will supply our needs, and he'll do it faithfully, even in difficult times. He did it for Paul, he's going to do it for the Philippians, and he will be faithful and do it for us. All promises are yes in Jesus. So church of the living God, I encourage you all, keep your eyes on Jesus and not on your circumstances. Life will be a roller coaster. It will have ups and downs. But in the middle of that, know that Christ and your relationship with him will be your contentment. It will be that which is steady, level, unchanging, unwavering, unaltering. Yes, Christ is your refuge and your strength. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, what a convicting text. I know in my life, because I get this all wrong so many times. I'll focus on the day-to-day. I'll focus on the moment, the circumstances of life. I'll get on this roller coaster. And forgive me, Father, because that will cause me to forget about you. Lord, I'm, we as a church confess to you that as we go through the process of life, as we go through these ups and downs, may we rest in you and your sovereignty. The fact that you are a good, good father 
that you have us in your hands. You haven't forgotten about us. You will never let us go. And as a good father, you love to give good gifts to your children. And we know that you will supply every need of ours according to your glorious riches. Lord, let us rest in that, we pray. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.